Now, our first witness this morning is Butch. Well, when the fight broke out, I got stabbed in the back, and I, I pulled my knife and hit him. That was the first person I ever killed. Butch Crouch was a hell's angel who'd murdered people and then rolled over and became a government witness. He was giving up details of this crime only somebody that was there would have known about. What good's a man? In his right hand, he had an automatic handgun and blood over his chest. What exactly happened here? Two people were murdered. A house was set on fire. Because of Crouch, I've been hiding in the witness protection program for most of my life. But I'm done hiding. From C-13 Originals, a division of Cadence 13, welcome to Relative Unknown, a new podcast about the stories and family we can't escape. Download Relative Unknown for free now on Radio.com, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your shows. Welcome to Season 3 of What Really Happened. Executive produced by Seven Bucks Productions, Dwayne Johnson, Danny Garcia, and Brian Gewertz in association with Cadence 13. It's written and hosted by me, Andrew Jenks, and you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at Andrew Jenks. You can also become a contributor to the show by going to jenkspod.com slash contributors. This story contains strong language and potentially disturbing content. Discretion is advised. It's May 3rd, 2010. Barack Obama is in his second year in office, Iron Man 2 is about to shatter box office records, and it's 2 a.m. at the University of Virginia. Something is about to happen which will capture the nation's attention. It'll be featured on the cover of People magazine, talked about on every major news outlet, and endlessly discussed on social media. George Hughley and Yardley Love have been in an on-and-off relationship for about two years. Both are days away from graduating the University of Virginia, where they're both lacrosse players. Yardley was an exceptional athlete in high school, attending Notre Dame Preparatory School. Her father, John Love, also went to University of Virginia, but left to join the military and never graduated. Yardley's mission, to get a degree from the same university her father wasn't able to. George Hughley comes from a wealthy family. They've been described as a prominent family in the Bethesda community, owned an estate on the South River in Annapolis, and have a home in Palm Beach County, Florida. George went to a prestigious private high school. Over the summer, he is set to begin his career in real estate at a firm in Washington, D.C. On this night in May, a college student, Caitlin, walks into her apartment with a friend. The two see Caitlin's roommate, Yardley Love, face down in her bed. Yardley is unresponsive. The two friends call the police. They quickly get to the apartment. Soon after, law enforcement goes to see Yardley's off-and-on-again boyfriend, George Hughley. George lives near Yardley and saw Yardley only hours prior. The police bring him in for questioning. He sounds like he may still be slightly inebriated from the previous night, but the officers do a routine check and determine he is in fine condition to speak. He's been told he is being detained because of an assault investigation. He signs a document saying he knows his rights and is agreeing to talk. George sits in the corner of the interview room, 
He is 6'2", 210 pounds, with shaggy hair. He wears sandals, shorts, and a t-shirt of the band The Police. Sitting to George's side is Detective Lisa Reeves, and across the table is Detective Ed Practor. A video records the conversation from a high angle in the corner. The audio I play in this episode is from the interview video. Some would call it an interrogation video, and it's been edited for time constraints. As it turns out, it is this recording which will become a vital factor in determining what really happened. Detectives begin with some basic questions. As a reminder, they only got to Yardley's apartment a few hours ago and then brought George in to the police station. First of all, I just want to kind of get a little background on you, if that's okay. Um, you're a UVA student, obviously. Uh, how long have you been a student? It's my fourth year. Fourth year? Oh, okay. Long time there, huh? How long have you lived where you live right now? For two years. For two years? Okay. And you play lacrosse? Yeah. How long have you been playing that? Since I was very old. Mm-hmm. Like, at school for four years. Okay. All right. Um... Do you work anywhere? No. You don't work anywhere at all? Okay. Where do you get your support from? Family? Yeah. Um, let's kind of start. I'm going to kind of ask you some questions, and like I said, we'll explain things a little bit later. Um, tell me about your day yesterday. George explains that he played golf with his dad at a father-son golf event. Then he and his dad had dinner with two of George's buddies. And then at around 7.30, George went to a local bar. He guesses he had about 10 drinks. George eventually went to the apartment of Yardley Love, but she didn't want to see him. When I went over to talk to Yardley, I, I like was like, Yardley? And she was like, already like totally freaked out. Without explaining why, George says Yardley saw him and went into the corner of her room, leaning up against the wall. He says he, quote, shook Yardley a little bit. And then Yardley started banging her head against the wall. I was like, listen, I'm not like here to do anything. I'm here to talk to you about everything that's ensued in the past week. And and she was like, and like, sort of like, being like, no, no, no. George starts hitting his head against the wall in the interview room, reenacting what Yardley was doing. Hitting her head like... Like, stop, like, like, she's in the corner, I was yelling about, I was like, stop, like, I was like, literally, like, what the hell, like, we were just going to talk, and, like, it was not at all, like, a good conversation, because that's, like, she was already, like, freaking out with just even seeing me, just even seeing me there. Okay, so what happened next? What happened next, and she was, kept hitting her head against the against the wall when she was sitting on the bed and I was like I grabbed her and I like shook her I was like stop like we need to like and looked at her I was like we need to like talk about this and, like I mean I was on holding her arms and stuff but like I, I never struck her I never like hit her hit her like in the face or anything I was just like we need to talk and she was so like she was so like oh I mean what's the word like you know like, like flopping a fish out of the water in the small room, George starts flopping as if he's a fish. Like, so, like, all this, 
all because of what happened last week. And I was like, listen, like, I'm not here to, like, fight with you or, like, do anything. Like, I'm here to talk to you. And I was holding her, but I was never, I never struck her or anything. And I think that might have been when her nose started to bleed, actually. It was when I was holding her on the floor. This is the first time George says anything about blood. Detective Reeves, who's been pretty much only listening for the last five minutes, redirects the conversation. Let's kind of start from, you keep talking about something that happened last week. What happened last week? What happened last week? You said kind of set up the... The Well, yeah, that's why I was going over there to talk to her. Well, yeah, what happened last week? What happened last week? Let's start there. George explains he and Yardley had been dating for about two and a half years. They had broken up about a month ago, but had still been hanging out and stuff. George says they broke up because she wanted to move to New York after college, and he wanted to move to San Francisco. There was that, and also what he called the other stuff. George said they continued to hang out until... We were still hanging out and everything. And then, call a week ago, she goes down to... She went down to Carolina and, like, I don't know what happened there, but she told me what happened, which was, like, which was that Wednesday night. She sends me a text message, like, oh, I'm so glad, like, I, I, you know, I, I'm so glad, like, I fucked so-and-so, you know. And so I didn't even respond to that. I was like, whatever. Like, she said you know, she fucked somebody? Is that what you just said? I hooked up, fucked, like, same, okay. same thing. So I didn't even respond to that. Those were, in, like, text messages. George then says he saw Yardley about a week after getting those text messages. First, he saw her at a bar, and then again later that night at his apartment. Their apartment buildings were just a few steps away from each other. And... She walks in the door, opens the door, and comes over and just starts hitting me in the face. And I, like, got up and I was like, stop, like, like, you know, like, get off of me, like, leave me alone. Like, like, you can't, like, do this. You can't just, like, start doing this. So I was going over there to talk to her last night on Sunday, and, like, and that was the reason why I was going over there to talk to her. And I never, like, hit her, never struck her, never, and nothing happened. All right, all right, so you go over there. Knock on the door. Her front door was open. Mm-hmm. Her room door was closed. I knocked, like, like, are they, like, she heard me open the door and, and went in. All right. Went in where? To her room. All right, straight to her bedroom? Straight to her bedroom, yeah, I mean. How'd you get through the door? Her door or the mm-hmm. front door? Her door. Actually, it might have been locked. Mm-hmm. It was. We spend about half our lives in beds. So why not sleep on something incredibly comfortable? For a little over a year now, I've been sleeping on a sleep number bed, and it's honestly made a huge difference. I just wake up in a better mood, feeling more well-rested. Straight from your phone or a little device they give you, Sleep Number beds allow you to adjust on each side to your ideal firmness, comfort, and support. The Sleep Number 360 smart bed senses my movements and automatically adjusts to keep me sleeping comfortably through the night. In fact, I didn't know this, 
more than 1,800 NFL players are now sleeping on sleep number beds. I didn't even know there were 1,800 NFL players in the league, but I guess that kind of does add up. Experience the smart, effortless comfort of the Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed. Find your competitive edge with proven quality sleep from $999. Sleep Number is the official sleep and wellness partner of the NFL. You'll only find Sleep Number at one of their 575 Sleep Number stores nationwide. Find the one nearest you at sleepnumber.com slash WRH. They're really comfortable. Sleepnumber.com slash WRH. How'd you get through the door? Her door? Her door. Actually, it might have been locked. Mm-hmm. It was. Yeah, but, yeah. yeah. Actually, yeah. Just, just be honest with you. Yeah, no, yeah, it was actually, it was locked, yeah. Because yeah. I think I put a hole. Yeah, you punched a hole through the door. Pretty sure, actually, now. Yeah, I used to have that, yeah. George again says... George says he remained upset over those text messages about Yardley sleeping with someone else. I was like, listen, like, you, what you pulled last week was outrageous. Like, I just want to talk to you. Like, Why would you push the door there? Because I want to talk to her. The detectives refocused the interview, going back to the previous night and what happened. George suddenly starts to explain that he and Yardley began wrestling. And then we like wrestled the building around the same way, her nose started bleeding. And and then I was and then she ended I think she was back in bed and I was and I left. I was like, oh, this is the, not going anywhere. Okay. Did um did you go back and check on her at any point? No, I did not. Okay. Did you uh, uh, did you touch her neck area at all? Did you choke her at one point? Um I may have grabbed her a little bit by the neck mm-hmm. when we were like but I never like strangled her. So when um when you left out of there, I mean you saw that she was bleeding on her nose. Did mm-hmm. did you try to call rescue or anything, make sure she's alright? No, I did not. No. Why? Uh I didn't think it was like in I didn't think that she was like in need of like going to the emergency room I, she just got I mean a play. what do you think that I don't know I mean I, I did, did you say when you were and correct me if I'm wrong when you were shaking her her head was hitting the wall well that was in the beginning that was initially when I walked in like she was like up in the corner like said, get, like, get out of here like you know like this mm-hmm. like, at, at any time when you were shaking her did her head bang the, the wall did, did you, like, I mean, shake her into the wall? I know you already said you didn't punch her and stuff. And, no, and I'm I mean, I wasn't, like, like, throwing her into the wall. Like, I mean, we were sitting on her bed, which is against the wall, and I was like, like, and I was like, like, you're, like, and, like, I mean, maybe. The detectives try to sort out exactly what George means by shaking her in the corner. She, she has a pretty good knot on her head. That's why I'm asking how that, how, how you can explain how that would have happened. I mean, I don't even know when that, a knot. Mm-hmm. 
Like on, on the side of her head, she's been hit pretty good right there. So I'm just trying to figure out, did you hit her with something? No. Was that no, her I never, I never, never touched her or struck her or anything. Well, you touched her. You had your hands on her. Yeah, no, I, yeah, no I, I said never struck her. Okay. Never, never, never at all, like... Well, I'm, I'm trying I'm to just, figure I'm out why, to why she's got a black eye and why she's got a big lump right there. I mean, we... I don't know how. With anything. So she's got them. So, okay. Okay. Uh, All right. No, no, no. That's fine. That's fine. At this point, the other detective, Ed Proctor, wants to ask some questions. He does a bit of a reset. I, I know we, we touched about what, uh, what happened last night, but set it up for me. Leave it up to me a little bit here. Why did you guys break up exactly? George again explains they originally broke up because they wanted to live in separate cities after college, San Francisco and New York. But now George adds another reason. There was a text message he had received from another woman, which Yarley was upset about. This caused another fight, but George says that... I mean, that night that she found the, the, the text messages in my phone, I was like... I don't know. I was that night. I was more drunk than I've probably ever been. Right. And she did the same thing, like you know, like sort of like yelling at me, like hitting me while I'm drunk. And I, I actually laid on her and like held her, like detained her, kind of. And she ended up like leaving, but that that happened that night. How did you detain her? I mean. Sir, like that night, I was. Did you like over yourself, or did other people have to come and get you off of her? Uh, I'm not. You know, I don't. I really don't remember that night at all. Not at all. No, not at all. But maybe because you, you, you maybe smothered her a little bit that night. Maybe you choked her a little bit. No, I don't think I choked her. Since that night, like she's never said that like I was choking her or anything. She said I literally like laid on her and like kind of like. She's about, what, 105, 110 pounds, something like that? You're almost double her size? Yeah, probably. You you don't think that would maybe be enough to take the breath out of her if you're laying down on top of her? Uh, I mean, I never never thought about it like that, but I never, like... I never, like, right. Right. Well, you know, we, we never mentioned anything to her, you know, to her face, and you, you constantly bring up that you didn't punch her in the face. No, I we, we never even asked you that question. I know. I mean, did, did, you, maybe, did, for, you, maybe, I mean, did you maybe at least smack her? No. Hey, snap out of it or something like that. No, no. What's wrong with you? I did not. No, Nothing I did like not, that. I never. No, I mean, I'm in here for assault charges. Right. That's why. I was, no, I, I, mean, I never told you you were. Yeah, you, we had said, any warrants on you. Right. I know, but so someone said we're right here now. for an, okay. an assault investigation. About fifty minutes into the recording, the detectives decide it's time. Well, I have to tell you something. They fill him in on what they've known since the beginning. She's dead. You killed her, George. You killed her. She's dead. After George spent the last 50 minutes admitting to what he had done to Yardley, to at the very least beating her up, wrestling with her, and putting his hands around her neck, the detectives feel... They have enough to charge George with murder. How the fuck is she dead? Because you killed her. 
George puts his head down on the table. We're not here for any reason, George. She's dead? Yes. She's dead? Yes. She's dead? She's dead. How? How? I already told you how. You already told us how as well. How is she dead? You just told us. How is she dead? How is she dead? I didn't strangle. I didn't do... I, I didn't fucking hit her. The detectives try to get more details out of George, but he says he doesn't believe she's dead. You went in there to talk with her, but it got out of control, right, George? The alcohol got a hold of you. You kicked in her door. She started to fight with you. You punched her in the head. Or you cracked she's her. not dead. You cracked she's her head. Dead. You she's cracked her head dead. in the window or in the, in the wall. She is. She's not dead. I ain't BSing you right now. It's serious. I want to see. I want to see her. George, George, she is dead. You are not here to dance with us. You're, you're here because she's dead. The alcohol. I don't believe it. I don't believe it's it. It's true, dude. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I did it. I didn't hurt George, her. Listen to, listen to me. I didn't hurt her. Well, just, just out of protocol, what we got to do is stand up for George. Okay, put your hands behind your back. Turn. George stands up and he is arrested. Relax. Relax. You'll be alright. Tell me she's not dead. Tell me she's not dead, though, please. Will you tell me she's not dead? Relax. Please, will you tell me she's not dead? You know what? I wish I could tell you that, George. 22-year-old. 22. And her life is done. Oh, my God. Kill me. She can't be dead. She can't be dead. She's not. I can't do anything like that. I did not do anything that could could have killed her. I know she's not dead. 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 There's no way she's dead. Calm down, George. There's no way she's dead. There's no way. I'm not. And how does her? Then how did she get all that head trauma? From banging. I don't believe that. I don't believe she banged her own head in the hallway. The reality starts to dawn on George. Be dead. You're not lying to me either, are you? You're not lying. She's dead. Oh my God. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. It didn't. It didn't. It didn't. It didn't. It did not. It didn't. It didn't. And what happened? I didn't kill her. I did not kill her. I did not kill her. I did not. I did not. I did not kill her. Did you maybe smack her head one time too hard? I never hit, no. I mean, and maybe, maybe on the ground, no. Did you smack her head, maybe lay her on the bed so she could kind of relax? No, 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 no. She's not dead. She's not dead. There's no way she's dead. There's no way I can do it. No way. No way. The video, 64 minutes in total, suddenly ends because George asked for a lawyer. Once a defendant does this, the camera can keep rolling, but we don't have access to it. As it pertains to the video, and this part is important, 
Other than the jury, the prosecution, the defense, and certain members of the courthouse, such as the judge, the full interrogation tape was not heard by anyone. Not the media, not the public, no one. And it wasn't until the appeals process was over, more than five years after the murder in 2015, that the general public was able to hear the tape we have been listening to during this episode. And while the national news has largely moved on from covering the case, it was this tape which made a crucial difference in determining whether George Hughley would spend his life behind bars. It comes down to this. The prosecution wanted George to get a life sentence for first-degree murder. This would have to mean it was premeditated murder. It would have to mean George went in there with plans to kill Yardley. And what you just heard, what the jury watched, convinced the jury it wasn't premeditated. One juror said after the trial and release of the video that, quote, When the video starts off, George is basically a bad boy with his hand caught in the cookie jar. Then when they tell him Yardley's dead, there's a very big change in his demeanor, and you can see the psychological pain and breakdown he's going through. I think that's some of the most real information we got. He would have had to have been a fantastic actor to pull off the emotional response he did. There's something about seeing a live person crying. That convinced me he really had no idea. First off, that she was dead, and therefore means he didn't go over there with intent to kill her. When this juror said George was just a bad guy caught in the cookie jar, the juror is referring to George thinking he's talking to the police about an assault, not murder. The detective who conducted the interrogation would even go on to say, I do believe his intention was to go over there and then talk to her at first. I think that, with the alcohol and his temper, once he got in there, I think once she told him she didn't want to talk with him, I think that's when it escalated at that moment. Now, on the other side of the spectrum, George Hughley's defense believed, since it wasn't premeditated, he should only be found guilty of involuntary manslaughter. George Hughley's mom spoke out in 2017, saying... Marta Murphy says her son should have been convicted of the lesser charge of involuntary manslaughter, calling it a drunken accident. He had absolutely no intent to hurt Yardley. Yardley was his best friend. But it wasn't as if George was having fun with Yardley, wrestling around, and he got too aggressive and she died. A doctor said in court that Yardley's brain twisted one way, then the other way with sudden acceleration and deceleration. That is obviously George's doing. Yardley had bruises and some abrasions, but died of blunt force trauma to her head. The Virginia Medical Examiner's Office ruled. Ultimately, the jury relied heavily on that video. George clearly admitted to assaulting her. He essentially explained how he murdered Yardley Love before finding out she was in fact dead. The defense wanted involuntary manslaughter. The prosecution wanted first-degree murder. The jury found George guilty of second-degree murder, and he was sentenced to 26 years in prison. I think that video, that surprise that came over him when he realized she was dead, saved him from first-degree murder and a life sentence. 
As it turns out, there were warning signs that George had a serious drinking problem and had a history of domestic violence. There was an incident in 2008 when a police officer saw a drunk George walking into traffic. When he was told he'd either have to get a ride home or go to jail, George slurred racial and sexual epithets at the officer and started threatening her. A taser was required to detain him, and he was arrested. Also in 2008, ABC News reported that George's father called the police in a domestic abuse complaint against George. The family had been on their 40-foot yacht named The Real Deal. The boat wasn't far from the family's million-dollar estate right near the Ritz-Carlton Hotel. Police motored out to the yacht, and George jumped into the Atlantic Ocean, hoping to swim to shore. He was eventually picked up by another boater. Ultimately, no arrests were made, and more details have never been sorted out. Then there was the time George believed a teammate had hooked up with Yardley. George went to the teammate's apartment, and although the teammate was sleeping, George began punching him in the face. Another incident, which the detectives were aware of, occurred when George got upset at Yardley and he sat on top of her and started choking her. Teammates and others had to pull him off. But nothing was done. And that part is crucial. Because there were some teammates, both on the male and female lacrosse teams, who knew of George's actions. As it turns out, eight of the 41 players on the men's team that year had been charged with alcohol-related offenses. I spoke with Kathy Redmond, who started the National Coalition Against Violent Athletes. Kathy was raped by a student athlete in 1991. Among many other jobs, she is a gender-based violence prevention and response consultant to the New England Patriots and Major and Minor League Baseball. You find that athletes are overrepresented when it comes to sexual assault and when it comes to domestic violence. One of the studies that was done showed that athletes comprise 3.3% of a campus population, yet make up 35% of the reports regarding domestic violence and 19% of the sexual assault reports. When it comes to prosecution, the general population has an 80% conviction rate. When it is an athlete, that conviction rate drops to 38%. There's an entire uh, legal system that supports athletes. You have elected district attorneys. When you look at the donors to those elected district attorneys, you'll find coaches and athletic directors in there. Um, The NCAA could easily do, easily do research on this topic. They don't. If you look at the statistics that were done when I was raped in college, and you look at some of the statistics coming out more recently, the statistics haven't moved. So with all of the training, with all of the awareness, with all of the prevention, with all of the Title IX, we really haven't moved the dial. And while there are plenty of athletes who are not committing violence, The problem becomes when they know of it, when they witness it, but they're afraid to say anything about it because they don't want their playing time cut. They don't want repercussions from the coach for going outside of the team. 
for going against the team. Sharon Love, Yardley's mom, went on to file a $30 million wrongful death lawsuit against the University of Virginia's men's lacrosse head coach, Dom Starja, in addition to the associate head coach and the athletic director. The suit said, quote, it was well known to the players and coaches on the UVA men's and women's lacrosse teams that Hughley's alcohol abuse and erratic, aggressive behavior was increasingly getting out of control, especially his obsession with love and his aggressiveness and threats to love, and that despite this, no action was taken. A little over a year after she filed the lawsuit, Yardley's mom dropped the charges against the university and its coaches. Reports are that it was dropped because there wasn't enough evidence to prove the university was directly, tangibly responsible for Yardley's death. As it turns out, in Virginia, it's difficult to sue an institution or organization for the negligence of its employers or participants. Meanwhile, Love's family is seeking more than $30 million from George Hughley and his family. The trial is slated for November of 2020, said Kathy. The fact that there were people who witnessed her abuse, but it was normalized. They wouldn't speak out. They wouldn't say anything. They witnessed what had happened to her on numerous times. They saw the red flags. And yet no one on either team would intervene. My question for those people is why? Why? They knew the behavior was toxic. They knew the relationship was unhealthy. They knew there was abuse. What prevented them from saying anything? Yardley's mom has gone on to start the One Love Foundation, an organization which educates young people about the differences between healthy and unhealthy relationships. Like other organizations around the world, they hope to change the system while also honoring their daughter. Along with approximately 1,300 prisoners, George Hughley is being held at a medium security level prison, the Augusta Correctional Center in Craigsville, Virginia. According to his mom, George plays cards, has a job wiping tables in the common area, and is finishing a college degree through a University of Ohio correctional program. He is set to be released in 2030. George will be 42 years old. His ex-girlfriend, Yardley Love, was only 22 years old when she died. This past summer, she would have celebrated her 32nd birthday. Next week on What Really Happened, Barry and Honey Sherman were one of the richest couples in the world. They were beloved for giving hundreds of millions to those less fortunate. But when both were found murdered in their mansion, enemies suddenly appeared. What really happened? If you like the podcast, I'd humbly ask you to subscribe, rate, and review. It actually can make a big difference. For any other feedback, you can reach out to me on Twitter or Instagram, Facebook, at Andrew Jenks, or go to jenkspod.com 
for more information on the sources for this podcast.